The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 world champions. Welcome to the Quintessential Podcast, presented by our friends at Axia Time. John Canaris, former goalie at Penn, uh, former goalie and great wrestler at Baldwin, so kind to sponsor our program. And if you're a championship caliber team, really recommend getting a watch instead of a ring. I'm a big, I'm a big fan, uh, Ryan Boyle. <laughs> Ryan Boyle, as, as we welcome in uh, ESPN's Ryan Boyle, I'm a big fan of watches over rings. Like I got a ring hiding up there somewhere. Every ten I, years, every ten years, I go look for it. I'm like, I hope I didn't lose it. I I don't know when I've ever worn my rings. So yeah. I think you're I think you're onto something here. Uh, yeah, we have rings. They're gathering dust, and and uh, hopefully in our moves, uh, whether it's from New York to Baltimore or whatever, in our moves in our lives that we don't lose our, our championship rings. Yeah, now that you bring it up, I'm kind of like, where did I put where? Are they still in the sock drawer? Are they some? I had them in the office for a bit. So, well, now, yeah. So I, now I'm now I'm feeling anxiety about making sure I know where they actually are. Yeah, cufflinks and rings to me are like I lose them constantly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me about New York City, man. I I just uh, went to the New York Post just to check on what was going on in New York. <laughs> I, I I used to love uh, reading the Post when I was in college. I, I, uh, it seems like it's still it's still summer, man. Still summer in September. Oh, huh? I mean, it's it's super super hot right now. But right now, baby, it's U.S. Open time for me. So yeah. that's uh, I went on Friday. Uh, I hosted a bunch of people on Saturday, and you know I'm up most nights watching, just just hoping that a game or a, a, a match isn't you know. You you want the five setter thrillers, and then when they happen, you're like, I gotta go to bed. Um, but I stayed up last night for the Shelton Tiafo uh, four set, which was just electric, and I mean, that kid is lightning in a bottle. But yeah, New York right now for me is like it's U.S. Open time, baby. So uh, two things: I got a house. Uh, Terry here loves tennis, and so it's like it's on our TV. Honestly, it's like this event never ends. It's on for two it's weeks. It's great. And then uh, you know we went to the U.S. Open before the initial MLL championship game back in 2001, which was played on Labor Day, Bob Carpenter, myself, we sat in Andy Roddick's box with his agent. There was some kind of connection between the MLL sponsor and Andy Roddick. And I remember we watched the women's semifinals. I believe it was either Saturday night or Sunday night. Uh, one of the, uh, the Williams sisters w- w- was playing uh, and, and it was, we had an awesome time. That, that was the first year of the MLL championship, which, which was up in Connecticut next to a jail uh, when, 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 the, when the lizards uh, with Paulie Gates scored like 27 goals and, and, and they won the first championship. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And I, as much as I love 
ash, I, I the the kind of floating around the grounds and going to some of the smaller courts um, is is really kind of where it's at. I, I watched the Tiafo uh, the the round before this one at, at Louis Armstrong, and uh, and part of me and it was a great match, but I was like. Hey, there's also this kid Shelton playing. Like, should we maybe go check that out? And now I'm kind of kicking myself, but but you know, hindsight 2020. Um, but yeah, being able to kind of float around all the different kind of outside courts, I think is is so much fun. And anybody that hasn't hasn't been, I, I highly, highly recommend it. Couldn't couldn't recommend it enough. You see these guys in person, you see these women in person, it is <laughs> wow, it is crazy. It's crazy, and the intimacy of just some of those smaller courts—you uh, can get, you know, so close, and the energy they feel you, and 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 if you get really on the outside courts, you're, you know, sometimes you're like, is that is that like so and so is like mom or dad, you know, like it, like you know, it's it's that that kind of intimate, um, and, and just kind of such a small scale, which is I think super fun. We're coming off a of PLL weekend that saw the quarterfinals. Uh, Gillette on Monday. I caught parts of, of all the games. It looked hot. The action was pretty good. Semifinals are on Sunday, September 10. Uh, it's the opening of, of the NFL that day. But the good news is the Giants play at night and the Jets play on Monday night. So the fans on Long Island at Hofstra should turn out. It's 3 o'clock, ABC game. It's Archers and Redwoods, 530 on ESPN+, Plus. Water Dogs and Cannons. Again, that's Sunday semifinals and what really appear to be uh, all four teams playing really well right now. But before we go there, there, Ryan, I do want to ask you about your history in terms of playing in the league and winning four championships, uh, all different. Uh, what stands out? I remember the barrage, the first one you won as a rookie, when the barrage was struggling, you came in somewhere along the line, you asserted yourself as the leader of that offense and things changed dramatically with that team. It was always a talented team, but they were kind of dysfunctional offensively. What was that like for you to grab control fresh out of college? Like, Hey guys, if we do this, this, and this, we can win. Like that had to be, it had to be difficult initially. Right. I, I think I, I was really just fortunate I, in terms of the locker room I went into. There was a bunch of guys that I, I already knew. I mean, Strebel and Prager were former teammates of mine at Princeton. So there was always that that trust had already been built there. And then kind of the the known entity, the winning, um, you know, Mike Springer, Keith Cromwell, like those were guys I played against collegiately. So there wasn't this like huge kind of age gap. It was more of like, you know, Roy, I, I, Colsey, you know, I grew up watching. So it was just kind of like there was an admiration there. And then there was guys like Blake Miller where it was like, who the heck is this guy? You know, um, so there was like a weird mixture of, of guys that I were already pretty familiar with. Um, and then there was, I, I mean, the spot was open for me to take. So it wasn't like a battle per se. Um, it, it was such a glaring need um, so that when I got there, it wasn't like this, like, in necessarily like okay who's he gonna beat out or who's he gonna take this is he taking away my touches it's like no i'm just slotting in here you guys clearly need this and i'll never forget it our first game we played the they play the bayhawks we're down two or up two timeout it's like less than a minute to go in the game and you know the sal lacasio is like you know whatever you do no twos no twos they clear the ball somebody like goes for an interception miss it bang two tie the game go into overtime and Gary Gates scores like a, a one-hander and I was like 
oh, okay. So this team is just this team is just a bunch of idiots. Like we we had this game won, and we just basically just gift just here. Do you, would you like to win instead? Um, so it was like we're this team's really good, um, but like man, we we just lost that game. Like like we gave that away. Uh, we didn't we didn't like Bayhawks didn't win that game. We just gift wrapped it. So. If if there's just like a little bit of polish on this, like I, I think like we're really good, and then you know you and then Sal was really helpful in terms of from the leadership standpoint. He would say things so that I wouldn't have to say them. So if I was kind of own, owning a matchup or, or felt really good about a matchup, you know he would at halftime would kind of like be like, look, why don't we just get the ball to him? Like if you draw a slide, get it to him. If we don't know what we're doing, get it to him. Like um, and so he was really helpful and just in terms of not only my confidence but also just like empowering me and being very direct to to the to my teammates um in terms of like what 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 the plan was um and then like anything you start winning and then it you know then you kind of then it kind of picks up some momentum and picks up trust and it's like okay maybe this kid maybe this kid we should trust him a little bit more um but i'll never forget that first game because it was like I don't, I don't really like, I'm not accustomed to losing games like, like, <laughs> yeah. like this, like, like we have this one, like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> no, you guys did have a very good team. And I remember I was extremely critical of that group uh, early in the season, particularly. And it came back to, I don't know, haunt me, but I knew there was more there than, than the way they were playing. And obviously your insertion into the lineup led to that, that run at the end of the year in the championship. 06, 07, I remember from one of those out in LA, uh, the Strebel Colsey show, that one game to me was one of, it still remains the most amazing midfield production game that I've ever seen uh, yeah, at a high I mean, level, in a, in a high level game. Yeah, it was like, it, it, that, there's nothing else to say. It was just, they were so dominant. The no team really had an answer for them. Um, and 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 Canopy, um, you know, in terms of his revenge to coming off Team USA not playing, you know, you kind of couple that. I think that sometimes gets a little overlooked, but you couple his dominant performance uh, against Jeff Schneider specifically in the championship, and and yeah, like Matt Strebel, you know, that that he was the best player in the world. Just in that, it was just like there's nothing that can stop him. And then you combine him with Roy, their ability from range, and it was just like you know really just kind of offensively just we're, we're going to ride them and kind of get out of their way. You know, like the first championship of the barrage was like, okay, let's just trust our defense. Let's put them in a good position. Like they're going to win this game. If we don't gift rat, you know, if we don't give the other team opportunities, but Roy and Shreves, like those two, like, it was just like, yeah, like <laughs> they, they were just seemingly unstoppable. And then your last championship with the Cannons played in Annapolis during Hurricane Irene, which was the most bizarre, bizarre weekend that I've ever been involved with. Uh, you guys won two one goal games, I think. Uh, close one in the semi and then a close one in the finals. So a lower scoring kind of game, a 10-9 game, I believe. Uh, yeah. And I, I remember that just the conditions were so bizarre that you really couldn't trust anything. Yeah, and the semis, we, the Bayhawks got out to a pretty sizable lead. So we kind of battled back, battled back, finally tied it up. And it was just kind of like one of those things like, you know, I remember talking in the huddle and just kind of resetting everybody because so often you use all your energy up in the comeback and you don't have enough to kind of get over the hump. And it was like, look, remove the emotional element of this. Like we've tied this game um, and we won it down the stretch. Quinzani uh, hit that kind of posted up his defender and kind of leverage top side and his defender. And I think the pass I threw to him was like, I think it was a bounce pass. I think it like, it like went into like standing water 
and then came out and uh and then the championship i remember you know our defense and led by jordan burke i think jordan burke was the best player that weekend and so a, a kind of akin to the first championship i won with the barrage it was like okay if we're gonna win this our defense is gonna win this like jordan burke's the best player whatever we do offensively we want to be opportunistic we want to be aggressive but like we we need to play a defensive minded game here um and, and let let our defense carry us to the championship those games were played on one day's rest typically a saturday monday format or or a thursday i think it was friday sunday or saturday monday uh it's more much more ideal now in the pll with yeah. a week to prepare a week to rest uh again saturday three o'clock on abc archers redwoods uh, cotter cart boyle and Dana downstairs from Hofstra. If you're a fan of Long Island, you, you really should should turn out to these games for two reasons. Number one, you get to see pro players up close and personal. It will blow your mind. Number two is if you want a franchise in New York downstate, like you, you, you better you better show up here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm excited for these games, Ryan, because as I said earlier, everyone's playing really well right now. When you look at the Archers, they're coming off the bye week. I guess they were practicing up in Boston. Uh, and then the Redwoods, last weekend on Monday put together uh, that second quarter was unlike anything I've ever seen from them. That's the best they've ever played. Uh, how would you characterize this matchup? Yeah, I, I think for Redwoods, Redwoods, they're playing the best I've ever seen them, certainly all season long. I, I think they had played a really smart game. Um, I think offensively, they're finally kind of in their appropriate roles. Um, the ball went through the midfield per, primarily. You know, you saw Cole Kirst. Uh, Henningberg, Bertrand, Dennis, they were the guys initiating. And, and I thought Garnsey and, and Pinnell played a really mature game in the sense of like the Rowlett and Newman matchups. That's not a recipe for success here. Um, so let's let's kind of rely on our midfielders. Um, and then West Berger decided to short stick, and, and he was kind of the guy that, that obviously was the kind of benefactor of them offensively in their ball movement. You look at them kind of early in the season, not great passing, terrible turnovers. Uh, and now the last, you know, four or five games, three or four games, they've been up 250 passes per game, which would eclipse the cannons, um, which is kind of lead, lead, has led the league in passes. And, you know, what does that stat mean? Like, it, you know, is it, it could be all for naught if nothing happens, but like ball movement, player movement has always been the struggle for this t Redwoods team offensively. Yes. Um, so I think for them, it's going to be, you know, can they repeat the performance that they did against chaos against the archers offensively archers, great in transition redwoods made it a six on six game against chaos. Um, but I think archers offensively in the six on six, just, just are, are they have much better spacing. Uh, I think they're cleaner. Um, you, you, Tom Schreiber is a whole different matchup. They they got they got a lot of problems. Um, a lot of a lot of problems you gotta you gotta figure out. And and I think that that's gonna be the key for Redwoods is defensively, can they keep it six on six? Um, they just saw a whole whack of picks with chaos, but I think the precision and spacing with archers is just on a next on a higher level than what chaos do offensively. Yeah, and, and Tommy Schreiber. Is, is really the, the main guy there with 17 assists. I think he's a former high school quarterback like yourself, like Jared Bernhardt, like Matt Danowski, like Logan Wisnowskis. And there's such a, I mean, you describe it. I didn't play the position, but you, you, you were an, really an effective high school football quarterback. To me, it's about eye control. It's about being able to look one place and have the body operate a certain way, whether you're running the option or, or reading a defense. Uh, what, what, what do you see as the best benefit like because Schreiber does that when he dodges, you know, he's got his, his, he's being covered by a guy 
he sees the double, but his eyes are really on the on the two slide. It's being able to look past the double team. So once once you identify the double team has occurred, whether you have the ball or your off ball and receive it, it, it there's really a very minimal difference in terms of basically behind the play is a zone. So because that guy slides, you have an advantage numerically. There's not a whole lot of difference between that and your reads when you do a drop back or a play action or a rollout pass and you're throwing it against a, a zone coverage. It's it's what are the soft spots in the zone? Who is responsible for certain spots defensively and offensively? Can we get to those soft spots and put guys in compromising situations? And, and I think archers, back to the spacing point, they do such a good job of that in terms of identifying those lanes and putting those defenders in compromising situations. And then Tom, like if we're going to pull the quarterback thread, like Mahomes, he can throw all these different angles and his ability to manipulate a defense with his, with his head, you know, with his, with where he's looking or where he turns his head, that, that those movements can subtly manipulate a defense. And then his arm angles and, and, and passing angles are exploit lanes that, that, that frankly, sometimes you don't really see exist. Yeah, his ability to forecast player movement is is next level. Uh, how do you teach, Ryan, with your work at Trilogy, uh, Trilogy Lacrosse, how do you teach young folks to get their eyes up off the defender covering them, get their eyes off the double team, and, 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 and to see the field better that way? Yeah, I mean, part of it is doing it from a skeleton standpoint with, you know, just cones and making sure that the footwork, uh, you know, obviously – uh, uh, kind of mimics what it would look like without a defender. So the footwork, the stick work, the head, you're working on everything without a defender. Uh, and then creating scenarios with with a defender that are kind of spoon feeding what an offensive player would see. So, for example, instead of you know, starting a one on one, you know, at X with nobody else on the field, you know, can you put can you start those one on ones on different spots? Can you have other offensive players and defenders in certain in specific spots that are kind of off ball? So even though it's a you know, quote unquote, one on one, uh, you're kind of replicating what a game scenario would actually look like, as opposed to just a impractical one on one off the end line with no other players out there. Not, not that that not that that's a bad drill per se, but but you know, there's different layers to it. So you, you use different drills to kind of uh, simulate what you know what you see as you advance from a from a skill and comprehension standpoint. Rehearsing reads uh, three o'clock on ABC. It's the Archers and the Redwoods. I'm working on ABC on Saturday night. I've got a trip to Washington State. Believe it or not, I got to go to Coleman, uh, Wisconsin, get, get the Washington miles. State prime time Saturday night on ABC. Now, uh, unfortunately, we're going to be opposite Texas, Alabama. But my my day Thursday, it's it's honestly it's twelve hours of travel. I got a flight to Denver, layover, flight to Spokane, hour and a half drive up uh, down to Pullman. Uh, it is, it's, it's, it's a rough day. So I, I got to hit the bookstore here in a little bit. Uh, I've left myself some work coming home. I'll, I'll, I'll have the app fired up and I'll, and I'll be watching you guys uh, on Sunday afternoon. One question before we move on to the second game about the archers defense, uh, Graham Hasek, unbelievable. The guy, the guy's just, I find him uh, as dominating a pro defender as I've ever seen. Uh, he can, he just can totally annihilate his man, but the archers have forced really savable and catchable shots for, for, for Brent Dobson, who's done, and, and Dobson, Brett has done a, a wonderful job in his outlets and, and the archers run extremely well from, from D to O. What surprises me is how well they play defense this year. Cause I look at this personnel and, and I, and I'm kind of like, eh, they get, you got rookie shorties, obviously Latrell Harris may be the best in the business, but no one's ever survived with rookie shorties. Uh, Jared Connors, I thought had a subpar year last year. He's been very good this year. Agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
And then the other guys are kind of like no name ish. Uh, what what about the Archers defense? Uh, the, the, as a group, they, they've really exceeded my expectations. I, do you feel the same way? It's a simple answer. Tony Resch. So you look at the top defenses kind of all time and in, in pro lacrosse history. And what do, I don't know, 60, 75, 80% of them. If you look at the top 10, you know, what do they have in common? They're led by Tony Resch. And so it's, it's no surprise that he's got them kind of organized, working as a collective unit, uh, understanding the scout, being held accountable um, and, you know, I think you, you, you talked about Hasek and, and Harris. I mean, like, no names, but, like, the defensive player of the year finalist, and he got the short stick in a defensive midfield. I, I think the impressive thing, when you look at the short sticks, you know, Piper Bond, and I'm, and I'm not just going Homer here as my other Gilman Greyhound, but, uh, but I, think, I think the last time I checked his stats, 14% shooting percentage when he was the closest defender, which is right in the top 10, I believe. Like, that's, that's – pretty darn impressive it's like it's one of those things as a short stick like you either want your name called a lot or you don't want your name called at all you know it seems like the only time he gets his name called is in transition because he hasn't scored yet so you know it's easy, so he's an easy target and you know he's the uh, uh kind of poke the bear there but he's i think he's been super impressive and i think mar has exceeded expectations um and, and then you look at dobson you know first year net I, I think what the archers do from a draft standpoint is they don't overthink things what are our needs? Let's find the guys that fill those needs and then let's actually play them. I mean, crazy concepts here, but you draft Dobson two years ago. He's now the starter. You need new short stick. You drop Mars, you drop Bond. You trust your evaluation process. You get them in there and you trust them. And if they fail a little bit, they get to learn through the mistakes and, and they get better. So I think you credit Tony Resch and I, I think you, you, you credit their draft process. Chris Bates has done a really nice job with this group this year. And and that's an interesting point you make about the draft because there are other teams who pick guys and waffle and tap into their 25 and have lineup changes constantly and guys play poorly and then they disappear. Like it's, a, it's hard to make a pro team unless obviously if you're a star, you're going to, you, you're given a, you're given a, a longer leash, so to speak. But for these middle guys, trying to fight for a role and they get yanked, man, it's, it's, it's hard to get that confidence back. And confidence I, is gigantic. I think if you look at across these four teams and the, some of the consistency that you'll see is how, how much guys have played together and any sort of absences, was it due to an injury or was it due to poor performance? So, you know, I'm pretty sure Harris Bond and Marr have started all 10 games the regular season. Um, you know, we're, you know, I know we're talking eventually about the cannons, but their four offensive midfielders started all 10 games. Fairman and Trainer, their two-way guys, started all 10 games. Their two short sticks started all 10 games. Their entire midfield unit, all 10 games. Yeah, that's a, that's a really valid point because early in the year when they were 0-2, I was having some discussions with Coach Brian Holman of the Cannons, and we're talking about changes and, like, what changes can you make? I think uh, at that stage, he got Kavanaugh, he got Matt Kavanaugh to buy into a role, to, to, to find his niche in terms of cutting, Greasy goals around the crease, riding, uh, and then Matt's gotten better and better and better, and 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 then he he, st he stayed with some of these middies, and and it's really paid off for him. Uh, their story is big this year. I mean, what would they have? One win last year, and they're in the yeah. semifinals. Yeah, uh, Water Dogs Cannons five. And that one, and that one, and that one win was the first game of the reg the first week in Albany, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> I remember. I, I remember talking to when Coach Holman told me that. Lyle Thompson wasn't coming back. I, I, you know, I, I have less patience than he does 
And so I was like, oh boy, what what what'd you walk into? <laughs> and he's like, no, it'll be fine. I'm like, no, it won't be fine. <laughs> but it it really is incredible the way he he's empowered all these guys and everyone's playing to their potential. Like a guy like Bubba Fairman, who was kind of average last year. He's a he's a top guy in the league right now. He's one of the top three or four defensive middies in in in, in the league. Uh the way he's flipped Ashton Alting's you know, career. Uh and, and it was a great win for them last week. Interesting angle in this game is both teams uh, unlikely to dress a Fogo. And, yeah. and uh, while they won't concede the draw, they're certainly not going to stress out when they don't win faceoffs. Uh, explain, how, how are you going to explain this to fans who are watching this? Yeah. The so I, the one wrinkle or subtlety to add is the water dogs will at least have courier, right? So who yeah. is you know more than serviceable there. And I think that that is – that to me is the rub because if you look back at the water dog cannons last game, sometimes they threw out Kerger and sometimes they didn't. Um, so it's truly going to be a matter of like, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. The thing that courier brings is, you know, and this is no disrespect to some of the other face-off specialists that are dressing, but like here, I'll just compare him to, to, to another guy just to put a name, you know, he's not TD Erlin when he picks up the ball. Right. So if Zach courier picks it up, you know, and you want to press out and shut on the wings. Good. Are are you sure you want to do that? Because it's a whole different animal with Courier picking that up as, as opposed to a TD or or a Petey LaSala or, uh, you know, Mike Sisselberger, for example. So I guess I did just name names. But so I, I think that's the rub is like if, if the Water Dogs can generate some looks off of Courier winning, um, you know, then then what do you do? And then. And then if it's two non-faceoff guys, like I'm gonna have to go back and watch the tape in terms of what what you know. Do both guys just stand up and look at it and stare at each other? Like, yeah, I think, like did they did they play in Baltimore? I think it was a game I covered this year. Uh, yeah, I think that they may have played in in uh, at Homewood, but but definitely go check that. Yeah, no, that was our fear going into that game that both teams would stand up and 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 not even <laughs> scrap for the ball. Uh, you know, one thing that stands out to me about the Water Dogs, uh, midfield perked up second half of the season. Thought Ryan Conrad really ended up on a good good uh, stint there. Uh, Jack Hanna. Uh, Connor Kelly hasn't quite been the same, I don't think, since his injuries at the world team uh, at, at the USA uh, games out in San Diego. But he's he seems like he's going in the right direction. And then they get McCardle and Sowers to go crazy last weekend. And so all of a sudden the, the water dogs offense to me is, is kind of perking in the right direction. I think what's so impressive from them offensively is they can win games in different manners. So you saw Sowers and McCardle, you know, absolutely go off. Ethan Walker was super quiet and didn't get a lot of midfield production. I mean, I called a game earlier this year where McCardle and Sowers were goose eggs and they still put up a number because of, of how the midfield played. Um, and then you see, you know, you look up at another game and, you know, Sowers and McCardle having a ho-hum game and Ethan Walker's got seven points. So I, I think what this team has, even though they don't have continuity within this season from a mid midfield perspective, that's largely due to injury, not performance. So Hannah was, had been banged up. Kelly's been banged up. McConaughey's been banged up. Caraway, who I think has been a bright spot for them, uh, has been a little banged up. Um, so that, that they, they haven't gotten continuity, but it hasn't been based off of like guys coming in the lineup. And I think that it's been kind of fairly – you know, out of their control, so to speak. I, I think what's so impressive by, about them offensively is just how smart they are. Um, they 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 get into their actions quickly. There's a sense of urgency. When they go from D to O, those guys are flying upfield. 
They're looking for their own shot. Guys like Witcher, Scarpello, they get it to their playmakers. They get immediately in a two-man game. If they get some off that, great. If they don't, those guys are off the field. The Omidys are on, and they're right into their secondary action. There is not a lot of fluff when it comes to their substitution game and them getting into their primary, secondary, and tertiary action. So it's a joy to watch because some of these other teams just take – you know, they're just yes. like – too long in the sub game and it's like and the water dogs they they will make you pay in all of those elements that that's a great point about the subs because that's that's an, an area that the atlas were, were probably the worst in the league this year uh whether it's going from d to o or o to d they they just uh i, I don't know if it's a decision making thing if it's a mentality if it's uh indecision but uh that's a great point about the water dogs a couple things i do want to finish up with uh history Two whip snakes wins, a chaos win, and a water dog championship. This is year five. You, you've seen mm-hmm. all those. When you go to site for, for this game at Hofstra, whether it's for practices, pregame, what are some things you're looking for in terms of trying to figure out which team is, is ready to fire on all cylinders? Or, 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 or what will you do this week in terms of watching your tape or gauging matchups? Like what's important, do you think, knowing history? Yeah. Yeah, I think looking at the matchups, I think, you know, lo- looking at the depth of talent, you know, you, you look at this, like, for example, the Water Dogs Whip Snakes game. You know, there's an obvious, e- easy narrative like Whip Snakes or, you know, the proven chant. You know, the, I just thought the Water Dogs were deeper. Um, I just thought they had a deeper roster. Um, and I, I look at, like, who, who are the problems? Who are the guys I need to solve for? You know, I don't think the, the uh, Whip Snakes – they, they didn't have an answer for Sowers. They didn't have a guy that could match up with Michael Sowers. They didn't have it last year. They didn't have it this year. So who who's that guy? Who's going to be the guy? What is the answer to Tom Schreiber? Um, you know, uh, uh, for Redwoods, like Owen Grant is now a problem. So yeah. what what am I what am I doing in my preparation? You know, for him. So I, I think in terms of my prep and, and as I look at things, is like how well has each team identified what they truly need to beat, what they truly need to stop on the other other team. What does that plan look like? And then what does their plan look like in terms of maximizing their matchups? And that's where, back to the Redwoods game, I just thought they played a really smart offensive game. Pinnell didn't even – he dodged on Rallet, I think, once. Ryder Garnsey didn't even go at Newman. Uh, not that that's his game anymore. But, no, like, they knew what they were doing in terms of their plan offensively. They knew what they were doing in terms of their plan defensively, and they executed it. And I, I thought they played a really smart game. The pro game is, is all about matchups. It really is uh, compared to the college game. And the one thing I'll, I'll finish off on there, like last week watching the Atlas struggle with Asher and Olting. This is an Atlas team who had two first-round draft picks. They chose two defenders. Neither are, are number one defenders in this league. Both are very good players. Both are great teammates, and both will play in this league for a long time. But you can't pick a defender in the first round if he's not going to be a number one. And in my eyes this year, there was only one of those, and that was Owen Grant. Maybe Bowen. But Grant, to me, was the guy you had to pick. And think about what the Atlas looked like if they had Grant and then they went for an offensive player, a Matt Campbell or Tucker Dordovic. It's a different Atlas team. So people kind of poo-poo the draft. You don't win with rookies. But you set up an awful lot with the way you draft. Yeah, Owen Grant was my favorite defender coming out. I might have been a little bit biased. I got a chance to to call one of his games at Delaware. But, you know, anytime you're, like, using a comparison to Brody Merrill – even if it's not a fair comparison, but like if your player comp is Brody Merrill, did you did you do his dupe? Did you do the 
he he was on TV against Duke. I saw. Was that was that a game I you did or Hopkins. not? I, I, okay. uh, you, you, so he you was the best. Every time you turn on the tape, he was the best athlete on the field by far. Like by the far. Duke, and when I saw it against Duke, I'm like, wow, he's making Brennan O'Neill look like pedestrian. He's making these Duke middies look like average athletes. And you you walk up and you see these guys from Duke. They're they're monsters. So he and, and he's a guy. I, I think he's an all star in the future. Whatever Owen Grant is listed at is it's not accurate. He's bigger. He's big. Like like he, yes. he's, I think it says six three two fifteen two twenty. It, no, it's not. It's it's taller and it's bigger. It's like or that's, that's the way he carries himself. Like no, that's exactly right. Because I remember he uh, up at Albany week one during he, training camp he wasn't eligible because of the visa issues. And I walked down the field. I'm like, who is that guy? I'm like, and I, like there's no way that's Owen Grant. I'm like. Wow, I was like, that must be some football player who's here, you know, for Giants <laughs> training camp or something. Oh. He makes John Grant Jr. look small. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, three o'clock, ABC, Archers, Redwoods. It'll be good. If you're watching the NFL, put 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 ABC on LC. That's your last channel, and click back and forth during commercials. The Jets and the Giants don't play till Sunday night and Monday night football. So if you're a New Yorker, get out to these games. They're going to be these are going to be good games. I, I I feel confident because I think all four teams are playing a real strong brand of ball right now. Everyone double screens these days, right? Everyone's got the two screens going. So, you know, whether you got NFL going on the iPad and, and the PLL on TV or vice versa, everybody two screens it these days anyway. So, yeah, no, I enjoyed I enjoyed last week a lot, uh, especially, you know, Eddie Glazner having the mic on him. You know, for some reason, when some of these defenders, I gravitate towards listening to them uh orchestrate the defense i find that to be really compelling in game uh, of, of all the mic'd up segments that we do and there's certainly a lot the, obviously the huddle the huddle footage is is incredible to, to hear these plays being diagrammed whether it's uh mike or mike but uh i, I would have fallen for that. <laughs> i i would i would have I fallen for that too who calls Channy mike i was like I oh i didn't know i didn't even know he had a first name <laughs> i was, well, at, least I was I got, at least I, at least i got it right the second time so I, I, I was laughing. Uh, Boyle, enjoy, enjoy Long Island. I guess you'll just take the train out or, or rent a car and, and head out. Yeah, I'll just I'll day trip, just cruise out, cruise back, and be it'll be uh, fantastic. So home game for me that I'm looking forward to for sure. Well, good. I hope the Long Island folks show up. Uh, really, uh, you know, if, if you're from my hometown, Limbrook or Farmingdale or or Islip, you, you, you just got to get over to Hofstra to watch these games. We got to get the city to... folks. We got to get the city. The city. And get, the hop city on the train. There. There's that Hempstead huh? station. You can basically almost walk from Hempstead to Hofstra. I've I've been dropped off there. There's Ubers. There's taxis. It's quick. Uh, brown bag. Brown bag on the train. No problem. Going to be a we'll good scene at Hofstra. Your way. So enjoy. I appreciate your time today, Ryan, and enjoy the games. I'll be watching on my flight home from Pullman, which is a, an all day affair on Sunday. I land about seven p.m. Safe travels, and thanks thanks for having me on. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And, of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time. A watch. What a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiotime.com, and we'll see you next week.